0: Amen. Good morning, folks. If You got your Bible. I want to invite you to take it and turn with me to Revelations chapter 2. We're going to continue our study on the seven letters to the seven churches that we began. We're on the third church today. Hope it's been a blessing to you. I don't know about y'all, but anytime I'm looking and learning and doing something new in the Word, I grow. And I thank God for the things He's been showing me. So as we look there, I have a couple of reminders, as you know, the church, the letters, the seven churches, these were the seven churches Jesus purposely, personally gave these messages to John, to these particular seven churches as we've been looking at. And um, you see there the circle, um, the, the, the emblem of completeness, and most people believe that these messages are not only um, practical, they were the seven churches who were just like us, At the very time that Jesus spoke these messages to John and he recorded them and wrote them down, these churches was going through these things that we're reading about. And so it's practical. You can apply it to the church today, just like we are today. It was also prophetic, prophetic in that it's a message to the seven churches for the complete church age, as long as the church is here from its beginning till Jesus calls it home in the rapture, these sermons, these messages or for the church to reveal to us the condition of the church, and then also it's personal because we are the church. It applies to us, and we can look at it and personally glean from it and use it in our life. And so today as we're looking, Jesus specifically chose these seven churches. We've seen that in the study for a purpose, and this is the reason, just to recap these letters to these seven churches or messages from Christ that reveal to the church today through its entirety how to properly function throughout the church age. And they're as relevant to us today as they were to the church of Pergamos the day he gave it to it. It applies. Amen. And so you look, these particular churches illustrate all the possible spiritual conditions for future churches until Jesus comes back, till his return. And so this morning we're going to look at the Church of Pergamos, which was the compromising church. And the Church of Pergamos, just like the church we seen last week in Smyrna, was being persecuted. It was struggling. It was going through some difficulties. And as you remember, the first church, the church of Ephesus, was the church that lost its first love. That great love for Christ had diminished, and they had let it fall. And then the persecuted church, you know what happens to you? When you're persecuted for your faith, the first temptation that comes to the church or to an individual is to compromise. Whatever I'm believing in, whatever I'm standing for that's causing these people to come against me and persecute me, the first natural instinct is to compromise to make that go away. That's exactly what was happening to the church in Pergamos as you read it with me here. Next door neighbor church to the church of Smyrna that we looked at last week. Jesus writing and speaking here. John writing, Jesus speaking. It says in verse 12, To the angel of the church of Pergamos, write, These things says he, Jesus himself, who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name. You did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr. We learned last week what a martyr is. A martyr is someone who accepts being killed for his faith. He accepts being killed. Losing his life instead of denying the faith or denying Jesus' lordship. And so it says right here that you did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas, who was probably an elder, a pastor, was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine, that's the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. And any time you receive doctrine that is unsound, that is not biblical, that is not of God, it is a stumbling block to the things of Christ. And that's what he's telling us here. And he says that Balak, who put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality, thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, I hate. Repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat and I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. Father, we thank you for the church message that you gave to Pergamus, and I pray you'll help us to understand it and apply it to our life today as we look over what you had to say. Today we look and Jesus said, I know your works. That's the first thing he tells to every church. Every church, Jesus knows what's going on. And just like the five churches that Jesus condemned, there's only two churches that he didn't have anything that he's seen wrong with. In all of the churches, he says, I know your works. And there's two things he sees. There were things that Jesus commended there, and there were things that Jesus condemned there. The first thing I want us to look at is the things he condemned. Thank God that Jesus approves of things in the church, amen, that the church has the approval of Christ. That's the most important thing. If Jesus doesn't approve, it doesn't matter what men say. It doesn't matter what we think. First and foremost of importance is that we have the approval of Christ over the church And in spite of intense suffering, this church, the church of Pergamos, had remained true to God. Just like Smyrna, they were being hammered by the Romans and by the Jews for their faith. They were being persecuted. One of their pastors, Anabas, had been martyred for the faith. But even in spite of that, they remained true to God. They had remained true to the name of Christ. They would not renounce Jesus as Lord, and they had not renounced their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. So Jesus approved and said, you have these things, it's commendable, it's great that you have not given up, you have stood for me and for my church and for the things of God. But friends, even though the whole church was standing, there were some in the midst who were not. And they were teaching something that Jesus looked at that he didn't approve of. And this is the accusation that Jesus brought against them. He said the church was guilty of compromising the truth. How is that? By allowing members within it, a sect, a group within, to teach things that were opposed to the true doctrines of Christ. To teach things that Jesus called two things. He says the church is guilty. If you look with me in verses 14 and 15, I want to read them again so you get your mind on it. He says, but I have a few things against you. That should worry you as a Christian. It should worry us as a church. It should worry us as a nation that the last thing we want is for Jesus to have things against us. But you have there those who hold the doctrine. That's the teaching system, the belief system of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols. That's false worship, false gods, and then to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. Worse than having something that Jesus says he's against is to have something in your midst as the church that Jesus hates. And friends, Jesus hates false doctrine. He gave two examples here in Adam's two verses. You You have those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before God's children, the children of Israel, you got to understand the story of Balaam, so I need to take a minute. Y'all have heard of Balaam. How many of you heard the donkey that talked to the prophet? The talking donkey. Well, that was Balaam. Balaam was approached by Balak. Balak was the king of Moab. The children of Israel had come into the land, and they were coming in, and they were taking over. God was blessing them and giving them victory. And they had went against the Amalekites, and they had had victory, and God had smite the Amalekites. Well, Balak seen them come into Moab, and he's like, oh, no. They're going to come and take my kingdom. They're going to take everything from us. So he goes and finds Balaam, who is a true priest, a prophet. And he says, I want you to go and curse the children of Israel, and I'm going to pay you money. (laughs) Anytime you sell out serving the Lord for profit, it's not good. And he was called by God, and he takes his money. And on the way there, God tells him, you can't go. You can't curse that which I have blessed. I've chosen to bless the Israelites. And you're not going to be able to curse them. So he goes back. He tells Balak, I can't do it. So Balak offers him more money. And he says, Balak, even if you offered me your kingdom and your silver and your gold, I can't curse what God has blessed. I can only tell you what God says. I'm a prophet. He was a real prophet. And he goes again because Balak offers him some more money the second time. God stops him again. The third time, y'all are familiar with the story. He's on his donkey. He's going, and God says, "You're not going to do it, Balaam. Balaam, you're not cursing my people." He puts an angel with a sword in front of him, and the donkey can see him, but he can't. The donkey goes out into the field, and he starts beating the poor donkey because it won't go where he wants him to go. And finally, he gets the donkey back on the road. It goes a little further. The donkey runs him into a wall, crushes his foot. Finally, he beats him again. The third time. I guess the Lord feels sorry for him beating that donkey. That donkey had better spiritual eyes and better vision than him. The donkey stops and lays down and Balaam starts beating. And all of a sudden the donkey said, why are you beating me? All these years I've served you. Have I ever not went where you did and carried you where you wanted to go? Don't you see that angel in front of you with the sword? (laughs) And Balaam sees it. Oh my God, he would have killed me if it wasn't for you. And so we know about the donkey talking. So he goes back. He says, no matter what you pay me, I cannot curse God's children Israel. But I can tell you what you can do. I'll tell you how to make them stumble. Just don't be afraid of them. Don't fight them. Accept them. Invite them to come to worship with you at your church. Invite them to just embrace you and your culture and be part of your society. Even let them marry your wife so you know what they did. Balak said, I can't beat them. I'll join them. So Balak tells his people to accept him. You know what happened? They intermarried with those pagan wives from Moab. And those Moab wives influenced them and caused them to stumble and brought them to the worship place of Baal in P.R. And they worshiped him. And those rituals involve sexual immorality of a nature that brought a plague on them that killed over 20-some thousand. You can read this in Numbers 22 through 25. You need to read it for you can understand. You see, to rightly understand the New Testament, you got to rightly know how to understand the Old Testament. Amen? And friends, listen, that's what he's talking about. Balaam was taught by Balaam how to cause Israel to stumble. So that's what he's saying. You have these people within the church who today are teaching just like Balaam, they're teaching how to make the church stumble. They're teaching doctrines that will lead them away from me. What were they doing? This is what they were doing. They were saying, look, it's bad enough that they killed Oedipus, one of our preachers. It's not that bad. Let's just go up to drop a little incense on the altar, say, Caesar is God. Worship with him just a little bit and come back. I man. we can still have church. And they won't... Persecute us. They won't attack us. They'll even be for us. We can kind of just let a little bit of Rome in. And then you had the Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitans, we believe, originated. Some people believe Ignatius, one of the oldest church fathers, said it came from Nicholas, one of the seven men who was chosen to be one of the first deacons who became corrupt and who had influence because he had given that place a position. And he's in the church, and the people that he had influenced was teaching also that let's get along, let's, let's do what it takes, let's compromise with Rome. And so they were doing, but what happens when you do that is you lose your witness. To do that means you say, Jesus is not Lord. Caesar is Lord. You begin to lose your faith, and that's what he was saying. You have not denied the faith. You have upholded my name, but there's some in your midst who aren't doing that. They're compromising. And friends, listen to this. When you allow compromise to come into the church, the church begins a downward spiral that will lead it away from God. That will take away the things that God wants it to have. I want you to think about this. Can that happen in the church today? Can there be doctrines being taught that are not true? I want you to look at this with me. This is the importance of doctrinal purity in the house of God. When Paul was fixing to turn over, he was mentoring two young men, a man named Titus who he gave a pastorate to in Crete, a troubled church. A man named Timothy that he gave a pastorate to and he placed him in charge of a church in a place called Ephesus, you've heard of them. And he wrote two, three letters, two to Timothy and one to Timothy, we call them the pastoral letters. They are used to show us how to conduct ourselves in the church and how to operate the church. And this is what he told Titus. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Sound doctrine means healthy doctrine, right doctrine, correct teaching that glorifies God that's in accord with all the rest of Scripture. If someone teaches you a doctrinal truth that is not in line with any other Scripture, it's not true. Because Scripture never contradicts itself. And friends, he says, in all these things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity. In what you teach, show integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. Look at that next verse. Not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, who, us, the church, our Savior in all things. Now listen, he says, teach sound doctrine as is proper. And all your doctrinal teachings show integrity. And he says, don't go around pilfering, but show all good fidelity with the way you live, that they may all adorn the doctrine, the teachings, the beliefs of God our Savior in all things, not just here on Sunday. Everywhere we go, we should live by the doctrine and the teachings of the Word of God. But he told Timothy also, Now, the Spirit especially says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith and they will give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Let me tell you something. Any doctrine that is taught in a church that is opposed to the biblical sound doctrine that comes from God comes from demonic. There's only two places teaching can come from there ain't no in between, there ain't no neutral. It's either of God or it's of the devil and what we teach and believe. Look what he told him. The time's going to come, Timothy, when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, they, because of their itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn away from the truth. May I tell you that just as it was in their day, it is in our day. And I fear and I know that there'll be some people whose itchy ears are not going to like what I'm fixing to show you. <laughs> But guys, listen, I don't know about y'all, but we are to desire the truth. You know what he told Timothy to do in the verse right below that? Timothy, because of this, you go and preach the word in season and out of season. When they like it, when they don't. When it's popular, when it's not, you preach the word of God, Timothy. You teach good, sound doctrine, and you tell the people the truth no matter what. And friends, I want you to think about this. Today in which we live, just like they were tempted to compromise in their true worship to Christ, to falsely worship Caesar and experience and accept the form of worship that they had, which involved sexual immorality at the temple down there. Part of their worship was they had temple prostitutes and all kind of stuff. And that's what he's talking about right there where he says, to eat their things sacrificed to idols and commit sexual immorality. There, when you worshipped and when you took allegiance to Caesar, you had to eat that sacrificed animal to Caesar. And you had to participate. And that's what they were doing. Once you compromise, it doesn't end there. It just begins. The downward slope away from truth. And friends, that's what was happening there. And it's happening here today. That sign right there, I don't know if you can see the name on it. But just this week, you think, God ain't something. I'm trying to find ways to show this that I'm going to show you. I, I took a wrong turn and looked on the road, and that sign was there. But that sign right there is on Ellerby. You're going down 31, 32. Right when you pass 49, right before you get to um, Industrial Loop, you turn right there. Well, anyway, Ellerby, some of you might know where that's at. Right across from the CC's Coffee and the Kroger's, i seen this, and I pulled over and took a picture of it. Grace Community Church. That's a United Methodist Fellowship. All that sounds good till you see lead pastor, Sister Betsy. Sister Betsy has never been given permission by God to be a pastor of his church, nor will she ever be given permission by God to be the pastor of his church because Scripture teaches direct opposite of that. But culture, society influence, will persecute, talk about, ostracize churches who don't do it today because that is the thing of today. It don't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what a denomination says. What matters is what the Word of God says. Until 50 years ago in the whole history of the church, nobody was ordaining women. Until it became the cultural society thing to do. And today, many mainline, the biggest Protestant denominations in America have been ordaining women for quite a while. The Presbyterians, the Lutherans, The Methodists, and I'm not here to put down on them, they're good people. But they are deceived people who have accepted something that is a compromise.
1: Because I want to show you what
0: the Word of God says. This is the qualifications for a pastor, a bishop. The Bible says this is a faithful saying. You know why it's faithful? It's the Word of God. And the faithful saying says, if a man desires the position of a bishop, that's a pastor, he desires a good work. Now you could say, well, this is the masculine pronouns and this is just as universal. That don't mean a woman can't be a pastor. It gets better or worse. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. A woman can never be the husband of one wife unless, we're going to get on that in a minute, he must be temperate, sober-minded. We believe all these things of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. He can't be a drunkard. He can't be a swindler. It's got to be honest, but he also has to be a he. I want you to see the next verse. One who rules his house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. Guys, scripture empathetically demonstrates and proclaims, if you want to have sound doctrine, that the man is the spiritual leader of the home. Doesn't mean he's a dictator. It doesn't mean he just rules, but it does say one who rules his own house well. And man, I'm here to tell you, my friend, if you let your wife rule, you will answer to Jesus. You are going to be held responsible for your home, your doctrinal beliefs, your faith and practice, and how you serve and what you do with Jesus. You are not your wife. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, then how is he going to take care of the church of God? Friends, that's pretty clear. And friends, in church history until very recently, they did not ordain women. Less than 50 years for most. Why would they do that? Because pressure to be society and culturally relevant. Friends, no matter how much culture changes, no matter how much science wants to redefine who pastors a church, the word of God will never change. It'll always be what it always was, and it'll never change. Friends, I'm not here to hurt feelings. You might say, well, that's still hard to believe. Well, look at this one. Paul said, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now, guys, that one right there, I'm not saying a lady can't teach, but she can't teach and have authority over a man in the church. God's ordained that. Not Brother Marvin. If you don't like that, tear it out of your Bible. But that's what the Word of God says. And there's even more. But what do we do? We compromise to get along. Why? Because women live. (laughs) Equal rights. What do you see on television? What do you hear in the political horizon? All this stuff. So they give in to that. I thank God that So far, the Southern Baptist Church, the Southern Baptist Convention, when all of this was becoming a hearsay, I got a good black pastor friend of mine that pastored the black church down the road from my first church when I was going to seminary that came this close to getting fired because he wouldn't let a black lady preach in his pulpit who said she was a pastor. He said, man, I'll let some of them share their testimony, but he said, she's a pastor. I'm not getting to someone. That's a misrepresentation of the Word of God. And... Friends, I want to tell you something. It hasn't went away. The Southern Baptists, they had made a special amendment that a pastor, the only church that can be recognized in a Southern Baptist church has to have a male pastor. Some churches went against it, and you may not agree with this, but I do. They're no longer a Southern Baptist church. They were put out of the Southern Baptist convention because they allowed a woman to be their pastor. Now, that's a congregation that can choose to do what they want, and they can go out, but they can't be represented and, ex- and looked at as a Southern Baptist church. And I thank God for that. You may not. I want to show you something else, though. This is right across the street. This is just two little churches. Friends, that right there said All Souls Unitarian Universalist Church. That's an denominated church. You know why they call themselves that? Because Unitarian Universalist sounds real good, and acceptable to our culture. The society eats that up. Oh, this is a church. All souls. There's unity, and it's universal. We're all one. Sounds real good. But you can only be all in one in Christ. This church, I promise you, if you go there, doesn't teach that there's no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved, must be saved, but Jesus Christ. I guarantee you won't hear there is no way to the Father that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one cometh to the Father but through me. Friends, what happens is we wash down, we create an easier to believe gospel so that it's more palatable, so it can be more accepted at the cost of compromise to the true gospel, and only the true gospel has the power to save a life and change you from a heathen to a saint. It costs the blood of Christ to empower it. And only the person who hears the true gospel, Paul in his day wrote to the Galatian church, if any man preach another gospel beside the gospel that I preach, let him be accursed. That's how important it is. And once you compromise that, it's a downward road. Do you see that flag behind there? The rainbow? That's the universal symbol for the lbgtq and i probably got that wrong but y'all know who i'm talking about the homosexual agenda that sign next to it says everyone welcome that's an open invitation to the homosexual that you're welcome here certainly homosexuals are welcome in the church of jesus christ jesus loves homosexuals But Jesus does not love homosexuality any more than he loves adultery or drunkenness or thievery or any other thing that you do that is not supposed to be done according to good doctrine. And friends, today, this is the political battle for the church to fight when it comes to compromise. Already, the Lutherans, the Presbyterians... And Episcopalians are ordaining, and have been ordaining for quite a while, openly gay, homosexual men and women to be pastors in their church. Now the question is, who says that's right or wrong? The word of God. I want you to see this. The Bible says, "You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an Obama nation. That is no different than when Jesus said, you have in your midst, which I do not like, those who are the Nicolaitans, which I hate. They were teaching a doctrine. that They were teaching sexual immorality, and they were teaching false worship. That's what that is when you embrace these things we're looking at. And friends, it's here today, and it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. To stay doctrinally pure is going to cost the church a price the closer we get to the end of the church age. The world and culture is not going to become more tolerant. If you ain't got eyes to see this, they're becoming less tolerant every day of true Christianity. But the true church, Jesus said, I commend you because you have not denied my name. You have not renounced your faith in me. Friends, I want you to see this. Paul said, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Friends, if you fall for false doctrine, any teaching that cannot be supported and backed up with this book, you are deceived. And friends, you can't be deceived. It's a heartbreaking thing, especially when it's a loved one, a child who chooses the lie of the devil that the world has embraced and culture has chosen to promote that it's an alternative lifestyle that's acceptable to God. Look at what he says. He says, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. What he's saying is they're not Christians. Because they practice this. If you look at... Paul, in, in Galatians chapter 5, he says, for the works of the flesh are evident. And He gives you that list and he says the way they're evident is those who practice, practice such things. Guys, listen. No church would call a man or a woman to stand in the pulpit who was an openly practicing adulterer. You wouldn't. Or a thief. A a, a no good, a reviler, an extortioner. No one would call someone who believes fornication is all right. We all understand that adultery is outside the realms of good doctrine. That drunkenness, drinking, I'm a Baptist preacher, but I got to be biblical. Having a drink is not a sin. Drunkenness is having that drink control your life and being a habitual drunkard is a sin now do we have people who struggle with alcohol i'm one do you have people who struggle with adultery i was one (laughs) do you have people who have struggled with some of these things guys to get out of that sin it's painful it's hard it's not easy It takes you committing completely to Jesus in an act called repentance and believing God's grace is able to set you free. And friends, listen, homosexuals don't want you just to say homosexuality is okay. They want you to say our lifestyle choice is okay our way of living is acceptable, that we can be in church, we can be a pastor, we can be a leader, we can have, be married to same-sex one another. Guys, I don't know if you ever heard of this, but during Barack Obama's presidency, when they turned this can of worms over and kicked this anthill and made same-sex marriage the law of the land, Churches everywhere at that time. That's when it all began to happen. And the Southern Baptist Convention was under pressure. And when we had our convention that year, they made an amendment in our Baptist faith and message, which is the doctrine we all agree to adhere to if we want to be a Southern Baptist church in good standing, voted it in, and it got accepted that the Southern Baptist Convention does not recognize homosexuals and homosexual activity of any nature. Or someone who practices that to be a candidate and to be a pastor or a leader of any type in our Southern Baptist church. We got put on a hate list by the presidency, the administration from Barack Obama, because we believe that. We also made an amendment and we redefined, and we defined, I mean, not redefined, we defined what they redefined. We put what we believe biblical marriage is that a biblical traditional marriage is the union between one man and one woman, nothing else. And if you believe anything else, you're deceived. You have accepted the compromise of false teaching. Now you say, well, what's that going to do? Well, if you look, I'll show you in the coming weeks, it creates a downward slope, and the churches are showing it, just like Jesus revealed it. You start out when you first get saved. Jesus is your first love. Man, you love him. You're crazy about him. He's everything. And then that love begins to diminish. And at first, man, you'd go to hell with a water pistol. You'll fight anything for Jesus. You ain't giving up. Christ is it. I'm going down with the Jesus ship. And then one day that kind of diminishes and the persecution comes. You know, I don't have to be persecuted, I ain't got to keep going through this. I'll compromise. I don't want people to talk bad about us. I don't want our church to be in trouble with the law. What's it going to hurt? Once you compromise, the next step is the church next week, the corrupted church. Then you're going to be entering this into your life. Friends, you may not believe this, but churches who are allowing and accepting and saying it's okay, for homosexuals to practice homosexuality in the church are not only a compromised church, they're a corrupted church. Friends, listen, if you believe what Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? If you've got any of these people in your life, in your family, you're going to love them enough to tell the truth. You're going to say, this is wrong. We love you, but we cannot love what you love because it's wrong. And friends, I want you to see this. The Bible says, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine, the teachings of Christ, does not have God. You say, I ain't never seen that. That's because in a little well-tucked-away book called 2 John. Take you about four minutes to read it. But it's kind of like what... um, I'll get to that later. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Guys, what we abide in, what we practice, what we live out in our life from day to day has to be in accordance with the teachings of Jesus. If anyone, look at verse 10, comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, this teaching, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. We all say, amen. Amen. Every one of you has got someone like this in your home 24-7. He's discipling you and your family. He's teaching you all types of ungodly doctrine. And he's in your house. And if someone from him came here today, you'd look at him and say, what is he doing here? He don't belong in the church. I know what he's like. Who is he? Hollywood. Hollywood. American entertainment, the television. The television indoctrinates and disciples more people in America who sit in pews every Sunday than Jesus and his word ever will. The average Southern Baptist is much more a product of the television, I call it the television, and the teachings and the philosophies of Hollywood than they ever will be Jesus and this word of God. Because that's what you're listening to every day. That's what they promote. That's why the Hollywood elites hates the right. When I say the right, I say that as someone who wants to... And I know all those in the right ain't right. (laughs) But what the right stands for is moving toward God. Moving toward morality and godliness and things that are in accord to what we would all agree is good doctrine. Now, friends, listen to this last one. If he who greets him, if you greet him, you share in his evil deeds. You share in his evil deeds. If a homosexual comes into your private life, yes, we are to love him. Yes, we are to show him Christ. But we are not to agree with him. We are not to share with his doctrinal beliefs that it's okay to be that way and God's fine with it. If you do, you're just like you're sharing. If you care for him, truth and love is no, my brother. That's not what Scripture says. The church who succumbs to compromise will eventually lose its blessings from Jesus. I want you to think about this. When you are compromised in your scriptural beliefs, it's a matter of time before those scriptural beliefs become, script- become behaviors. What you believe produces how you behave. Every time. My seminary professor used to say, don't preach at their behavior, preacher. Preach at their beliefs. Change what they believe, you'll change how they behave. If all you do is harp on their beliefs, they'll quit listening to you. Because what's going to change them is the authority of Scripture. The truth. Jesus said, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And through me, you can come to a holy Father. But friends, I want you to understand something. We must stand for the truth at all costs. No matter what Democrats, no matter what Republicans, no matter what our neighbors, we must say what Jesus says. And we must do our whole best to not compromise. Because if you compromise, it leads to corruption. You're going to see that in the next church. and the church after that, it leads to the dead church. You say, how can a church be dead? Friends, the scripture is clear that if you live a life opposed to the teachings of Jesus that you can make choices that grieve the Spirit. Have you heard that in the Scriptures? You can grieve the Spirit. You can grieve the Spirit by living for the flesh and living in the world and living in sin to the point you can quench the Spirit. It's called a carnal Christian. Paul wrote a letter in the first Corinthians. he, He mentions them. Carnal Christianity. What is carnal Christianity? It's when a Christian has allowed himself to compromise to the point he's been corrupted, to the point that he's grieved the Holy Spirit, to the point he's quenched the Holy Spirit, to where when Jesus looked at that fourth church we're going to look at, the church at Sardis said, you think you're alive, but I say you're dead. And you know what's wrong? When you first compromise, you feel a little conviction. But once you accept it, and once you go ahead and get around other people that accept it, you begin to become desensitized, and you begin to think it's all right. The next thing you do, you're doing it with them. And at first when you sin, boy, it convicts you. You feel bad. But if you just don't let that conviction steer you back to Jesus and you continue doing what the majority does and they say it's okay, for long you can get used to being a corrupted Christian. If you're a corrupted Christian long enough, the days of the blessing of being anointed and having the Holy Spirit active in your life, you're no longer led by just the conscience you inherited from your parents raising Now you're led by the inner spirit within you that convicts you and and pushes you to Christ that won't leave your conscience alone. But the Bible says if you continue to oppose truth through compromise and corruption, you can sear your conscience. All that scripture to the point one day being a dead carnal Christian is normal. You don't even remember what it was like to be anointed to have the Spirit of God active in your life. Friends, that's the warnings for the church and for the individual. Can it happen today? I fear it's happening in lots of places. So what's the cure? Thank God. Jesus gave us what He approved of. He gave us the accusation of what He didn't approve of. And now He admonishes us. The admonishment of Jesus is this. Repent. Turn. Don't quit leading what is wrong. I just showed you in my Word. Homosexuality is an abomination. No preacher can be a leader of my church and have that type of lifestyle. Women are not pastors. <laughs> it's a hard pill to swallow in American culture, but that's Scripture. Go sit under her. See if Jesus is there. I don't know. I'm not going to go to one of them because Scripture's already told me to stay clear of it. Repent of it or else I will... It's negative. It's negative. He says, repent or else I'll come to you quickly and take away what I've given you. That's what he's basically saying. Read it with me. He says, repent, verse 16, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. The last thing the church ought to be doing is fighting with Jesus. Right now he's talking about them. He's not talking about the whole church. He's talking about the doctrine of Balaam, the doctrine of Nicolaitans. He's talking about the doctrine of believing what we just talked about in our day and time. But then the other one is positive. He who overcomes, I will bless you. If you repent and turn back to God, He'll bless you. He who overcomes. And look at what He says. Now to you I say, oh, I'm in the wrong spot. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat and I will give him a white stone and on the stone a new name written which no one knows except him who receives it. Now, friends, I know we're looking at this this day and we're saying, what's up with the hidden manna and the white stone? The manna was what God gave to the children of Israel to nourish them. And I don't know about you, but have you figured out yet that there's hidden manna for the spiritual hungry soul and only Jesus can give you. You can't find it nowhere, but unless he shows it to you. And man, when you're hitting on the spiritual manna of heaven and God's feeding your soul and you're being energized and nourished by Jesus, you're different. And then he says, and i also give you a white stone with a name written on it. Nobody knows but you. Man, I studied and I found out that that was a common practice in their day. We don't understand, but this church would have understood right away. They were living in Roman culture. A Roman, when he had a big party and he had reservations and invitations for his special guest, would send you a white stone with the name written on it. When you got to that party to be allowed in there, you gave them that white stone and it would have written on there what needed to be for you to get in there I don't know about it, but you know you ain't getting in without a reservation. You better have your invitation when you try to get into heaven. And the only person that can get you in there is Jesus. Friends, I'm here to tell you today, the church is in danger. It's come so far from where it used to be. In my lifetime, in just the time I've been a pastor, I've watched us go so far from the doctrinal purity we once took as normal to now you're a fanatic if you believe what Brother Marvin's saying. (laughs) You're going overboard. I'd rather go overboard and go too far with Jesus than to go just a little ways with the ones that ain't with Jesus. If I'm going to go too far, I want to make sure it's on the side of Jesus, not on the side of the world and culture in American society. Friends, listen, these things are difficult to talk about. I said, well, I've taught to talk with Jesus this week. Lord, how did you talk me into preaching this series? I didn't know what I was getting into. I never studied it like this. If I'd have known what I know today, I would have never preached this series. I'd have went to preach something else. Because it ain't fun to preach this. This ain't something we want to hear. But I can promise you it's something we need to hear. And I can promise you even more than that, it's something we better hear. Because, guys, we can't afford to compromise when they tell us one day, and it will come in some of our lifetimes, I believe everything in me, that you can't preach against these things like this. Homosexuality, you got to let them pastor. Women, you got to let them pastor. If you don't do that, then we're going to take your property. We're going to confiscate your building. That's when I'm going to say, we have in church at my house. Who wants to come? Amen. Praise God, because that's what they did in the Bible. Friends, we're going to have to choose between all of this and doctrinal purity one day. I'm here to tell you it will come. Jesus said it's going to get worse before he comes back. And the day is God preparing his church, the church who has ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He wants to teach us how to come out as overcomers till the day he comes back to bring us home. Can I get an amen? Friends, this is important stuff. Today there's somebody in here, I promise you, who ain't truly saved. The day you come up here and Jesus will save you. There's some of us who's probably taking the bait of being secularly accepted. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. What's right ain't always popular, and what's popular ain't always right. And this is what I was going to say a while ago. It ain't that we don't understand the truth. We know what the truth says. Mark Twain said, my problem with reading the Bible ain't with what I don't understand. My problem with reading the Bible is what I do understand. (laughs) It's a hard book to obey. But it's the only one we got. Today, maybe you need to make a recommitment. Maybe you need to repent. There's no shame in coming to an altar and saying, Jesus, I want to do better. We're going to sing a song, a song of invitation. It's a song of response to what we've heard. I don't know about y'all, but it's made me have a soul that's examining and looking at me and what we do and why we do it. Friends, if they was to come and say, we're arresting Brother Marvin, and if y'all keep doing what he was telling y'all to do, we're going to come arrest y'all. Would y'all keep doing it? (laughs) Or would y'all say, oh, we don't want to be where Brother Marvin's at. If I get arrested, please bring me a cheeseburger once a week. (laughs) No, all kidding aside, why do we think it can't happen to us? Because it can. There will come a time where the only thing to keep it from happening is to compromise. That's what was happening here. It can happen now. Let's make a choice today to say, Lord, I want to stand for you. Let's stand for Jesus now as I pray. Father in heaven, I thank you today. For churches. Like Smyrna last week. And even this church, Lord. Even though the enemy had come, Satan. They brought in the doctrines of Balaam and the doctrine of Nicolaitans to try to compromise the church so that he could corrupt the church. But Lord, as a whole, that church was standing. They had a pastor that had died for the cause of Christ. They, and Jesus was able to say, thank you that you have not denied my name, that you have kept my faith. Lord, help us to be that church. And Lord, give us the spiritual discernment to recognize the false doctrines that become stumbling blocks that keep us from you. Help us to seek spiritual purity in what we do and what we believe. And Lord, today, for anybody who's undone, who's not saved, maybe they're looking for a church to join where people preach the truth, stand on the truth. Lord, we need to stand together to encourage one another. But more than anything, we need to stand for you. So Lord, we pray today that you'll help us to do that. Till you come, till you take us home, help us to stand for Christ for it's in your name.